Good morning. Well, friends, this is the last week of our summer sermon series, and, and I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, Pastor John, there are some cool temperatures this week. Pastor John, it's the 18th of September, but I will point out to you that the first day of fall is September 22nd, so summer sermon series, as promised, as delivered, right there. Uh, we... <laughs> We have been in Psalm 119, the 119th Psalm. A psalm is a, a hymn, a song of praise to God. This is a love song about the author's affection for God's Word. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. And the reason it's so long is because it's really an acrostic poem. It has 22 sections of eight verses each. And that's 22 sections for the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet because the Old Testament of our Bibles was written in Hebrew. And today we're looking at the very last two sections or the Hebrew letters Sin or Sheen and the Hebrew letter Tav. Those are the last two letters in Hebrew and the last two sections today. And so that also means that this is our last week in Psalm 119. And you don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of you hear me say that our last week in Psalm 119, and your thought is, thank God, and it is our last week there. And if that's you, I have good news for you, because thanking God is what we're going to talk about today, so it's very appropriate if you feel that way. We're going to actually be praising God for what we've learned about Him in this psalm. And what have we learned? Well, if, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we've learned about God and what we've learned about His truth during this summer. We learned in this love song about God's law that we are supposed to walk in His law. We're supposed to delight in His Word. It's to guide our lives. It's to be the source of our joy. We've learned that God's Word is sufficient for us. It is all we need to know God and to live for Him. And that means that we should depend on these scriptures to understand God. And we also need to depend on the Lord in order to understand the scriptures. This is our word of comfort when we are suffering and alone. It's a word of discipline that molds and shapes us, that reveals God's love for us and makes us more like Him. This word brings hope to us when we are experiencing persecution and it's a word that we are called to love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It presents before us the paths of the righteous and the wicked, and it challenges us to follow God. This word is righteous, just like its author, our Lord. It is perfectly righteous and good. It's truth that can be relied on and salvation from sin that the lost world so desperately needs. Those are just a few of the things we've talked about this summer. And knowing all that now, how should we respond to God's amazing word? Well, our passage today, verses 161 through 176, will show us how. Our author, the psalmist, he responds with a promise to God. He promises to love God's word, to rejoice in God's word, and to keep and obey it. And then he has a prayer. He's going to pray to God for more understanding of the word. He's going to ask God for deliverance that will lead him to praise God. And he does all this because he knows that he is dependent on God's pleasure and grace. 
So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. If you want to use that blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, it should be on page 611. And we're looking at verses 161 through 176. And once you are there, if you are able, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word and follow along as I read our passage for today. Psalm 119, verses 161 through 176. 161, the author says that princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Then in verse 169, he goes on to say, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Verse 173, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. We've had the past few weeks and months to go through this psalm to learn about the wonderful blessing that your word is. I pray, God, that as we wrap up our time looking at it, you would lead us to commit, to promise to love your word, God, rejoice in it, and to do what it says, to keep it. And I pray, God, that we would realize how far short of you we are, and so that we would ask, Lord, for more understanding of your word, and ask you to deliver us from the sin, the bondage, that we are stuck in. And God, may we respond to your word with praise. That's why we praise you. That's why we sing. That's why we rejoice, God, is because of your word and the truth it tells us that it was your good pleasure and love for us to send your son to live a perfect life for us, to die on our behalf so that we could know you. May our time in this word, may our time throughout this psalm remind us of his goodness, his grace, his love for us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So in light of what we've learned this summer, in light of everything the psalmist has said as he's thinking about God's word, it leads him to make some promises, some promises. And we are called to make promises to God as well. And 
I'm using promises because, as you'll see with the major points, I'm trying to do P-word things, so it's P-P-P, the, the, the four uh, main points of the sermon. So maybe you don't like promise, maybe commitment is something that, that works better to you. That, that's fine. This section is a profession of faith from this psalmist, this author. In, it's interesting because throughout this psalm, he's had praise to God, and he's also had some requests of the Lord. But in these eight verses, 161 through 168, he doesn't have a prayer request. He's expressing his commitment to God. And there's a series of promises here. The first promise that he makes is to love God's word, to love God's word. Now you'll notice if you're using the outline that it, it's not like it goes one to the other. He kind of jumps around to those things. So we see this in a couple verses in this passage. First, in verse 161, he says, Princes, rulers, those in authority, persecute and harass him without cause. Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. His heart has a reverent awe for what God has said. He trembles at the power and might of God's word. He doesn't fear those who are opposed to him. He doesn't fear those who are making life difficult for him. He's not afraid of those who stand against God. He knows only God commands that respect in his life. The psalmist knows where true power lies. He's someone who's been captivated by a love of God and a love for his word. And someone who's been captivated by that love of God and respect for his word, that person doesn't worry about who's in charge here on earth. That person doesn't have to live in fear of who the next senator is or the next governor is or the next president is because the power of those offices pales in comparison to even the fingertip of the almighty God. So the psalmist does not fear them. His all is not for these princes and rulers, but for God's word. And so trusting in God's power, verse 163 says that he hates, abhors, loathes, he detests falsehood and lying, but he loves God's law. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. He's learned what it's proper to hate, rebellion, wrong, sin against God, and what it's proper to love, the Lord and his word. And that love for God's word leads to great peace in his life. 165 says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Those who trust in God, believe in Him, can find great peace in their lives because His Word can be a light to their path that will keep them from stumbling and falling. And that, if that idea of light to their path sounds familiar, that's because a couple of weeks ago we read this verse in verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, talking about peace and a light, that's not a guarantee that everything in our life will be good all the time. But it is a guarantee that God's word will always be there to guide us. And so even in the midst of great suffering, even in perhaps situations of grief and loss in our lives, we can know God's perfect peace and have confidence before him. Friends, if we love, respect his word, if we know God, then we don't have to live in fear of what God may or may not uh, do to us, that he might push us away. We're not on thin ice with God. We're not going to do something that all of a sudden crack and everything falls apart there. We don't have to walk gingerly through life worried about, oh no, am I going to upset him? No, instead we have a loving relationship with God. His word points to the salvation we can know through his son 
and the eternal peace that results. To love God's word is to know and have confidence in that peace. And that confidence leads the psalmist then to rejoice in God's word. He loves God's word and he rejoices in God's word. He rejoices in God's word of promise. He compares it to the same feeling as discovering, spoil, plunder, a treasure. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. He's found something precious here that causes him to celebrate. Jesus said something similar. Jesus told a parable, a story in Matthew chapter 13, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's, that's the sense of joy and wonder this psalmist, this author feels. He has discovered something amazing in God's word that he's realized is worth giving up everything he has and more. Now, maybe that, that thought about the Bible seems a little foreign to you. You're like, I, this is, yeah, I have this book, I read it, or I can pull it up on my phone, but sell everything I have for it. And sometimes it doesn't seem worth it. Sometimes we wrestle, we struggle to understand what it is teaching us. Oh, but friends, if we put in the effort, if we struggle, strive, ask God, seek to know what his word says, when we finally discover its meaning on perhaps a passage we've been wrestling with for a long time, oh, that feeling is more than worth the effort. And I want to point out where the person's context is here. Because we just talked about the verse before, he's being persecuted without cause. It's not like he's sitting back in peaceful Bible study that he uses for his Instagram or something as a coffee cup, as he flips through that. That's not where he is. He's in a moment of persecution and hardship. And in that moment, he knows that God, that God is doing something in him. He's doing a work in his heart. And that work is a treasure that causes him to rejoice in the word and praise God. And that's why he says in verse 164 that he praises God seven times a day for his righteous rules. Uh, We actually talked about this verse this morning in my Sunday school class. We were talking about interpreting the Bible. And we said, this is not telling us that you are sinning if you do not pray to God seven times a day. That's not the emphasis there. It's not that the psalmist has his, his phone, he has reminders set on his phone that go off, and then he knows to pray seven times a day. It's It's not that. No, it's that he, it's an emphasis, a poetry, that he's doing it frequently, multiple times a day. Perhaps he's practicing what would be written hundreds of years later in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He is praying without ceasing. And that idea of, you know, seven times a day I praise you or pray without ceasing, that, that should be a challenge to us. If we know God, we have a relationship with him, a close communion with him. We should live in that and speak to him. For a genuine Christian, life works best when it's in a constant state of praise and prayer with God. When we're constantly communicating with him, thanking him for what he is doing, praising him for who he is, and expressing our concerns to him. And that may seem a little impossible, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but it's a goal to strive for. We want a close relationship with God. Our psalmist has taken up that challenge, and so he pledges in these last couple of verses to keep God's word, to keep, to obey 
what God has said. He hopes for God's salvation and rescue from his trials, but in the meantime, he promises that he will do God's commandments. Verse 166, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. This is a a promise of obedience to God. But look where it is. He didn't start with this. He didn't say, I'm going to obey God because then that will help me love him and then God, I'll thank you. No, it's because he loves God and he loves God's word. It's because he praises God. He enjoys his relationship with him that then he's led to do, to keep, to obey what God has said. It's a natural result. I love God. I praise him. So of course I would do what God has said. If if we're struggling to do what Scripture says, maybe the issue is we're not loving God and praising Him. We don't do what He says to earn favor with Him, but out of gratitude for what He has done for us. In the next verse, he says that his very soul desires to obey God. He keeps and obeys God's testimonies and statutes because He loves them exceedingly or greatly. And then he concludes that he keeps and obeys the word because all his ways are before God. Everything he does is known to the Lord. Verse 168, I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. This psalmist has realized an important truth. And that truth is that God sees and knows everything that goes on in our lives. Everything in our heads, everything we say, everything we do, he knows. In another psalm, later in the book, Psalm 139, it begins this way, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. And the rest of that psalm just keeps going about everywhere we could go, God sees us and knows us. The Puritan Thomas Manton put it this way, you are in the sight of God, whether you think so or no. Say, I don't think God's real, that doesn't matter. He sees you and knows you. You may say, oh, okay, but what if I'm over here doing this or I'm not in a church? He, he sees you and knows you. And that's a powerful truth that would change our lives we wrap our mind around it. Think about it. We all act differently if we know we're being watched. If you want to see that, just, just drive around on the highway or, or on the roads. Eventually, you'll come up upon a police officer on the side of the road. And what does everybody do when they see the police officer? Even if they're going the speed limit, hit the brake and slow down because they know somebody's watching us right there. Oh, but, but friends, think about it. What if we realize that God is watching us all the time? Wouldn't that transform how we think and how we live? We would put into practice how the book of Ecclesiastes ends. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Why do we do that? Because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God sees us and knows us will be held accountable. And that should be a little bit of a scary and intimidating thought. That should seem a little overwhelming that God knows everything about me and and will hold me accountable for it. And it's overwhelming for the psalmist too because the very next thing he does is he turns to prayer. 
he's, he said, God, these are the things I'm committing to, but I know it's going to be very difficult. It's actually going to be impossible for me, so I'm going to pray and ask for your help. Pray for the strength to keep my promises. And so when we get to this next section, and here I'm talking about the whole section of 169 through 176. I've broken it up a little bit more. But in this whole section, you'll see again and again, either your translation may have the word let, let me do this, God, let me do that. The word may, may I be able to do this or that. He's making requests of God. He wants to be faithful to God's word, but he still has needs that only God can provide. And the first request he makes of God is for understanding. He prays for understanding. And by that, he means to understand God's word. He asks God to listen to his prayer, give him the gift of an understanding and discerning mind. In verse 169, he says, let my cry come before you, Lord. And what is he asking? Give me understanding according to your word. And this isn't the first time he's asked for that in this psalm. Way back in verse 34, he said, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. He wants to understand God's word. He wants to understand who God is. He wants the spiritual light and insight so he can know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And he knows those answers can only be found in God's word. So we ask God, give me understanding. And we don't see this request fulfilled for him necessarily right here, but friends, that is a prayer request God is almost always pleased to honor. He's he's pleased to honor that. He wants us to know more about him. The way he honors that and answers that for his people is he's given us his Holy Spirit who illuminates, reveals, shines a light on God's word so that we can see what it says, understand what it means, and apply it to our lives. This importance of getting this understanding drives a lot of scriptures know they need to know the Lord and know his truth. On Wednesday nights, we just started a study of the book of Proverbs. And as we were reading that, we saw the importance of having God's understanding. The book of Proverbs says it's about knowing wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. It's to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And then this is the conclusion of Solomon writing this at the very beginning of the book. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it's fools who despise wisdom and instruction. We've seen this before in this psalm. God's word gives us understanding, but we need God's help to understand it. So we seek to grow and we ask him for help. If you're reading the Bible or something, you're struggling with understanding, ask God for help understanding. Yes, there are plenty of people you can also ask. Reach out to others. Ask questions of those in the church, but ask the Lord God, help me to understand what is here. That's his first prayer request. The second one is about his own personal circumstances. He prays for deliverance, for deliverance. His plea, his supplication is for deliverance and help. He wants to be saved and rescued. In verse 170, he says, Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. This is probably in reference to those he talked about who are persecuting him. There are those who are oppressing him, making life extremely difficult. It could be he's, he's on the run or perhaps he feels in danger for his life. He's asking for God's 
deliverance and help. And most of us probably don't deal with people hunting us down or, or trying to, uh, that kind of direct, forceful persecution. But th- this prayer request for deliverance also reminds me that our ultimate salvation, our ultimate deliverance also comes from God, is dependent on Him. Because we can't earn our way to God. We can't work our way to Him. We're stuck in sin. And that's why He sent Jesus. Jesus died for sin, to pay the penalty for it. He rose to new life so that we could be delivered and saved from sin. And that's why He calls us to turn away from that sin and to trust in Him and what He has done. If we want deliverance from the the sin, the wrong that binds us, only Christ can bring that in our lives. In our moment of need, God promises rescue. That's what the psalmist is waiting for right now. He's asking for God to bring that rescue and deliverance. It's kind of similar to another psalm. Psalm 131, the author says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. He's learned that God's people can call out to the Lord and trust Him to make things right. And then he continues in verse 173. He's asking for deliverance specifically by asking God to help him, for God to extend his hand of help. 173, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Again, we see that in his request here, it's not that God's going to make our lives easy. It's not that the path will always be smooth and there'll never be troubles or difficulties. It's not a guarantee that our life will go exactly the way we want. This isn't a guarantee that if we're wrestling with something like a a particular illness or something, that God says, guaranteed, he will provide healing in this life. No, this hand to help from the Lord is trusting him to do what is best, to take care of our souls and provide his outcome, the best outcome for our lives. The psalmist's desire is to follow God so he knows that God will help him. Again, another psalm, Psalm 37, puts it this way. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord grabs our hand when we stumble. The of grabbing the Father's hand, trusting him. It reminds me of a child who leaps into their parents' arms because they trust them to catch them, provide for them, to guide them the way we should go. And in the same way, we leap confidently into the arms of our Heavenly Father. It doesn't mean our life may look the way we want it to look. It doesn't mean things turn out the way we want them to turn out. But we can live in that trust that our Heavenly Father knows what is best. And as we sang in the song a few minutes ago, because He knows what is best and He is in control, that's why we praise Him. That's why we praise him. And that's the very next thing the psalmist does. He turns to praise. Praise. The main thrust of this conclusion seems to be what was written in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. He is praising God. And remember what's happening again here. I'm I'm trying to highlight this, that this guy isn't some, and I've said this a lot, he's not some super saint. He doesn't have everything figured out. He is experiencing 
hardship that probably many of us would not be familiar with, but he still devotes all this time, ends this incredibly long song with an expression of praise to God. As the scholar J. Stephen Ewell put it, what is praise? Well, we praise when we see something beautiful. We praise when we hear something wonderful, taste something delectable, or experience something enjoyable. Praise is our way of expressing our esteem for someone or something. We do it all the time. The praise that I had some good uh, custard last night. I thought that was really good frozen custard I had last, last night. We praise, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. We do that all the time. We see something and we express our admiration for it. The psalm is challenging us to respond that way to God. When we read this word to respond, wow, God, thank you for who you are and what you've told me about you, yourself in this book. We should esteem nothing as being more valuable than he is. The psalmist does this by expressing his desire for his lips to pour forth, to pour out, to utter and overflow with praise. We, we sang the song, another song earlier. We pour out our praise. He wants his lips to pour this out. God has taught him from his word and he responds with praise. My lips pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. And one more time, in case you're not getting the point, it's not that he's happy. It's not that everything's going wonderful for him. It's not that God has answered all of his prayers. No, it's he's seen the truth in God's word of who the Lord is, and he responds to it with praise. He trusts that God is who he says he is, and he responds by worshiping his Lord. Again, J. Stephen Ewell says, no matter what is happening in life, we should pray and praise pray and praise. That's true in times of celebration and in times of lamentation, times of mourning. In every circumstance, pray and praise. We need to form those routines in our lives of taking the time to, this is a time I'm going to thank God for this. I'm going to pray to God now. This is what this author has done. He has times where he worships God in song, times when he thanks God for who he is, and times he spends in prayer. And so he says in 172 that he sings of the words rightness and righteousness. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. We see a similar expression in another psalm. Psalm 145 says they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. See, they're responding to God. If we jump to verse 174, he, again, he longs for salvation and rescue, but he delights in God's law. He says, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. And then as God's rules help and sustain him, he desires to live and continue praising God. 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. He's saying his life is full of increasing wonder, increasing awe. He can't help but look at who God is and praise Him. He wonders at God's attributes of love. Wow, I read here, I've seen in my life how much God loves me. That's incredible that God would feel that way about me. He wonders at the power of God's work. God, I see this thunderstorm. I see this mountain. I see what you've done in my life. That is amazing that you're able to do all of that. And he wonders 
at the authority of the Word. Wow, look what God has said here. Isn't He glorious? That wonder leads to praise like Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Friends, this is a a challenge for us that every time we open God's Word, it should lead us to praise Him. If you're having personal time with God, we've spoken about that a little, about the importance of trying to establish a time that you read God's Word. And when you have it, to to work at, at building at it, spending time with God. But when you're doing that, maybe you read something and you respond to it in prayer, thanking God for what you've read, or perhaps a song you enjoy, singing that to the Lord. It works in that personal time in His Word. But it also works when we're all together in the same way. For example, we gather together here every Sunday morning and we sing praise to God and then we have a message from God's Word. And after the message, we have what I like to call a song of response. The reason I like to call it that is because, yes, there is an invitation, an extension to those who do not know Christ to respond to Him, to come to salvation. But it's not just a time for that. It's also a time for all of us to respond to God's Word to respond to Him with praise and worship. That's what He calls us to do. So we make promises to God. We pray. We ask for His help. We offer our praise. But the psalmist has realized that all of that depends on God's pleasure, on God's good pleasure. Again, I was going for the four Ps there of, you know, those praise and prayer and, and promise and now than pleasure. What I mean is God's desire, His will. We're dependent on the Lord. We're looking at the very last verse of the psalm, verse 176, and in particular, I'm focusing on the phrase in the middle. That verse says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, and focusing on seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. When we promise, when we say, God, I've read your word, I'm responding to you. When we pray for God, ask for help, when we praise him, this is how God responds. He seeks the lost. Other places in scripture describe him as our shepherd. We're not going to read it today, but the well-known 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus claimed that title. And this verse is so interesting to me because it's very revealing about this author. He's, talking, he's talked a lot in this psalm about how there's people persecuting him, that there's this opposition around him. But look at what he admits here. He admits that it's not all other people's fault. Now, the fault starts here. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. He's a humble man. He knows he has sinned. He has turned away from God and gone astray like a lost sheep. It reminds me of the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, which has that verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The psalmist knows he has wandered into sin and he needs God to come and find him. One Puritan author named Matthew Henry, I think he put it really well. He said about this verse, we are apt to wander and very unapt I don't know if that's a word, but I really like it. Very unapt when we have gone astray to find the way again. 
we are apt to wander away from God and not very much inclined to find our way back again. We chase our own goals in life, our own desires. We can get lost very easily and find ourselves far from God, and we can find ourselves stuck in sin. Now, you may be here and you may be saying, well, pastor, I prayed to accept Christ years ago. You're you're talking about all those people who aren't here today, all those other people out there who need Jesus. Now, that could never happen to me. But if you think these verses aren't for you, uh, this is a little bit of a longer quote, but I really like how Stephen Uiel is driving at how this can affect us. He says, it's possible to wander from the truth without ever leaving the church. And it happens when we relegate, when we downgrade the Christian faith to a series of external practices, what we do. A secret wanderer never concerns himself with the matters of the heart, never inconveniences himself with the plight of the suffering. A secret wanderer never troubles himself with the pursuit of holiness. We can be here and say, oh, I'm, I'm close to God, but if your faith is about the external things, I show up to church, I I do good things, then it may be you who are wandering. If your mind is captivated by a sin, whether it's lust or greed, you desire money, or it's just selfishness, you live for yourself and what you want, then maybe you are wandering from God as well. And he calls you to confess that sin and then plead for God's pleasure to seek you. Because it is his pleasure to seek us out. He seeks us to save us. He does this out of his abundant and steadfast love for us. Carrying on this image of a sheep going astray, the prophet Isaiah puts it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And how does God fix this? The Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, our savior, the iniquity or the sin of us all. This is God's pleasure, his desire, and his will. We don't reach eternity by what we do, but because he has taken the wrong that we have done, he has placed it on someone else and worked out his punishment and wrath on that person. So we're not held accountable for it. He died in our place. And this is God's character, to seek those lost sheep. Jesus speaks about in Matthew 18, He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search, seek after the one that went astray? So it is not the will, the desire, the pleasure of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Friends, we're coming to the very end of this psalm, and I realize that we've had multiple weeks here. A lot has been said about God's Word and what it is and and how it should impact our lives. But if you take nothing else from this passage, my prayer is that you would see how it ends here, that you would see what this Word points to, this wonderful Word that the psalmist has been celebrating in 176 verses points to the great shepherd, the one who died to save us. As the Protestant reformer Martin Luther put it, we are all thus going astray, so we must pray to be visited, sought, and carried over by the most godly shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who is God blessed forever. Amen. So yes, I've said things today. Yes, we should look at God's word, make promises, and we should promise, yes, God, I will love you. I will love your word. We, we should promise, yes, God, I will rejoice in your word, what it has said. Yes, we, we should promise, God, I will keep, I will obey, I will do what your word has said. And yes, we should pray to God. We should ask him for understanding of his word. We should ask him for deliverance from whatever the struggle circumstance we're in at the moment. And yes, we should praise God at every opportunity. But this is the most important point. We can only do that because of the pleasure of God, the pleasure of Jesus Christ. That means it's a call if you don't know him to come to know him, to turn from sin, embrace a relationship with him. It is his pleasure to seek and to save. And if you do know him, if you're going to praise him, then let's praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd who alone is worthy of that praise.